better days are ahead, the hardest times behind us. That's the message coming from CCP authorities, but is it true? Funeral homes and hospitals are still overwhelmed in China as the virus ravages the country. Foreign reporters wanted to find out for themselves, but found their efforts blocked. Now, the Chinese regime is sticking with 60,000 as its official COVID-19 death toll. But people are casting doubt on that number, from experts to pundits to whispers on Chinese social media. With that still unclear, will China's choice to open its borders impact the outside world? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. An update on China's death wave. Chinese health authorities said on Thursday the number of COVID-19 patients needing critical care in China's hospitals has peaked, meaning it will soon start to go down. Alongside the news, Chinese Communist Party head Xi Jinping said light is ahead. But is that message the full picture? Three foreign reporters wanted to investigate for themselves, so they traveled to northwestern China's Gansu province to take a closer look. According to Radio Free Asia, the local propaganda department sought to counter these foreign reporters. To do it, the agency issued an urgent notice to all districts and communities, requesting they pay close attention and report the journalists' whereabouts to authorities immediately. It also warned residents not to give interviews. Worth noting, the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda department focuses on spreading CCP ideology. It also works to censor all media inside China. Its authority reaches from the country level down to provinces, counties, cities, and even city districts. Go there, please, please. This department also recently issued a similar notice, but directed at residents instead of reporters. It mainly targeted Lunar New Year travelers who plan to return home to parts of rural China for the holiday, urging them not to publish articles or other information about the so-called dark side, meaning the real situation surrounding the pandemic. Despite the propaganda department's efforts to keep certain details quiet, Chinese internet users have kept posting new information online. In one case, reports highlight row after row of newly dug graves, yet to be filled. Others capture long lines of cars waiting outside a funeral home. Due to the surge, no funeral services are being held before cremation. Instead, relatives must say farewell to their loved ones outside the building or while their bodies are still inside vehicles. One person in this video explained how people started lining up the previous night and how the funeral home gave out more than 1,000 numbered tickets, indicating each person's position in line for services. In southwestern China's Sichuan province, dozens of mourning decorations line a local street. This month, at least 37 tenders or requests for goods related to cremation furnaces have appeared in bidding announcements published by provincial authorities. For example, the funeral home in southern China's Shantou City wrote that it needed to, quote, urgently buy two cremation furnaces, requiring delivery within three days. At the same time, people are questioning the country's official death toll, recently published by the Chinese communist regime.
China's top health body said about 60,000 died of the virus between December 8th last year and January 12th this year. China affairs expert Jiang Feng commented on the number. A report, which is officially recognized by the CCP, shows that 900 million people are infected. If the death toll of 60,000 were real, the COVID-19 deaths would be even less than half of the tuberculosis deaths in 2021, according to China's official data. But will the CCP cut off its financial lifeline in Shanghai for a disease that is less dangerous than tuberculosis? Will it put all major cities across the country under lockdown? Another China affairs expert compares the figure with that of other countries. If the death toll of 60,000 is reliable, it means the COVID-19 death rate across the whole of China would be only 0.0066%. This would be much better than all the countries that have vaccines and sufficient medical resources, and these countries have loosened restrictions step by step under better control. In his opinion, Tang Wanana called the 60,000 death estimate a joke. China's border has been open for about two weeks. Some countries set up restrictions for travelers from China, such as COVID-19 testing before flight boarding, wastewater testing for planes from China, and quarantine rules for passengers who test positive after arriving. But other nations have taken a different approach, giving arrivals from China a free pass. New Zealand and some Asian countries are among them. So how's the situation developing there so far? Are new outbreaks popping up in those nations? On the contrary, infection and death numbers are on a slight downtrend in New Zealand. Over in Asia, despite crowds of Chinese tourists pouring into Thailand, officials have seen no significant change in COVID-19 numbers, as compared to when China's borders were sealed. Still, it's only been 11 days since China's reopening, and Beijing is refusing to share virus sequencing and many other information with the world. So for now, it might be too early to judge. We'll keep you updated. A new wave of protests is flaring up in China. This time, pandemic control workers are demanding wages they say they're owed, but that haven't been paid. Here's more on the little-known fallout from Beijing's lifting of COVID-19 curbs. Hundreds of virus test kit workers confronted the police, protesting layoffs and pay cuts. These videos show the recent unrest in two Chinese cities. The country's mass testing industry saw a major change from stringent zero-COVID-19 measures. But with that policy no longer in place, revenue for test kit makers has begun plummeting. Workers now fighting for their paychecks as the Chinese New Year holiday approaches. Some, out of desperation, threatened to jump from buildings if they weren't paid. These workers aren't alone. Frontline medical staff are also speaking out. In Shangxi province, healthcare workers went on a mass strike in front of a hospital to demand their salaries. Reports say the hospital hasn't paid social insurance for temporary workers for years, or even health insurance. Near the eastern seaboard, nurses in one city railed against overwork and wage delays. Elsewhere, in another hospital, one nurse sobbed, saying she and her colleagues worked overtime despite being sick themselves, but the hospital didn't pay them for their time. Members of a different group are also seeking their paychecks. They were once assigned to enforce COVID-19 restrictions, known by their iconic white hazmat suits. 
But now what awaits them is unemployment. Beyond the healthcare sector, wage protests have spread to state-owned enterprises and other large companies. Multiple Twitter posts say even the construction projects, funded by local branches of China's Communist Party, are delaying workers' wages. To pay for the CCP's costly pandemic control, local authorities were put under financial pressure. Some provinces reportedly diverted funds from public programs to manage it. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has decided not to compete for a Ford battery plant, citing threats from the Chinese Communist Party. Now, he's facing criticism over the decision. Here are the details and his response. Youngkin believes the deal could compromise Virginians' economic security and personal privacy. Ford's partner is the China-based Contemporary Amperex Technology. Their agreement to supply batteries for Ford's electric vehicles would qualify them to receive lucrative production tax benefits. This under the new Inflation Reduction Act. In August 2022, 16 Republicans in the House Oversight Committee warned about the Chinese firm. They say it's influential within the Chinese regime. Democrats say the $3.5 billion factory would have created over 2,500 jobs in Southern Virginia. They also question whether the national security concern over Ford's China-based partner is legitimate. Youngkin said that the risks related to the CCP are common sense. He called the CCP, quote, a dictatorial political party that has only one goal, global dominance at the expense of the United States. U.S. efforts to cut China off from advanced microchips may need help from the Netherlands. But the European country doesn't seem eager to get on board. President Biden met with Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte at the White House on Tuesday, a day after the top Dutch trade officials said the Netherlands will not accept new U.S. restrictions on exporting chip-making technology to China. Dutch company ASML is a key producer for semiconductor manufacturing equipment. 15% of its sales went to China in 2021, transactions worth more than $2 billion. Those sales could be affected if the Netherlands were to adopt the U.S. plan. The White House press secretary was recently asked about the talks between the two heads of state. Reporters wanted to know if the discussion had made any progress on the issue. Here's her response. Just want to be very clear on this as, as well. We don't push any of our allies or our partners. Uh, we consult with them closely uh, and they make their own decisions. We all recognize the importance of this issue to, to national security, and the president did discuss it, uh, along with a host of other important regional and global issues. The main topic of the U.S.-Netherlands talk was the war in Ukraine. A former University of Kansas professor avoiding a prison sentence Wednesday. He was charged with making a false statement about work he did in China. Prosecutors wanted Feng Franklin Tao to serve two and a half years. They said he hid ties to China's Fuzhou University from Kansas U and two federal agencies, which funded his research. A U.S. district judge in Kansas City instead sentenced him to time served since his 2019 arrest, saying there was no evidence he shared proprietary information with China. Tao's lawyer said his client was immensely relieved. Tao is a chemical engineering professor who worked on renewable energy projects. He was one of about two dozen academics who were charged as part of the Trump-era China initiative. It aimed to counter suspected Chinese espionage and research theft. Tao will appeal his remaining false statement conviction. 
And for the movie buffs out there, next an update on entertainment news. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is premiering next month on Disney Plus in the U.S. And overseas, the film is finally getting an official release in Chinese theaters. China has not allowed releases for a single Marvel movie in three years. But next month, two will hit the big screen. Black Panther Wakanda Forever and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania will release in China in February. The last superhero showdown on China's big screens was Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019. Despite Marvel movies historically being hits at the box office in China, the country has become a graveyard for Hollywood blockbusters in recent years. Beijing officials have denied release slots to a growing number of foreign titles, steering local audiences toward homegrown nationalist films. Another suspected espionage trial, this time inside China. Chinese authorities have once again delayed a verdict in the espionage trial of Australian writer Yang Hongjun. Australian authorities say they are deeply troubled by the news. At the same time, a spokesman for China's foreign ministry is warning Australia to stay out of it, saying Thursday they shouldn't interfere with China's judicial system. Yang was born in China, now an Australian citizen. The pro-democracy blogger had been working in New York just before his arrest at China's Guangzhou airport in 2019. He's been detained since then. The national security charges against him haven't been publicly disclosed. He denies being a spy for Australia or the U.S. A secret trial was held in Beijing in May 2021, but a verdict has been delayed a whopping seven times. The issue comes as Beijing and Canberra work to repair relations after years of rocky tensions. Is the world's second largest economy faltering? With the world eyeing China's reopening after stepping away from its zero COVID-19 policy, some experts are warning of a looming recession. What's in store for this year's economic outlook? Three experts explain the possibilities. Last week, China reported a record global trade surplus for 2022. Exports jumped 7 percent, while imports increased 1.1 percent. That translates into a record, an over $870 billion trade surplus for China in the past year. The huge surplus was thanks to strong export growth during the first quarter of 2022. But exports started to drop in October and fell to a record low in December. In the post-pandemic period, China's trade surplus has benefited tremendously from the uh, surge in the consumption of goods by you know, the U.S., Europe and other Westerners who for much of the pandemic period were prevented from spending their money on services. So they bought a lot of stuff, much of which we import from China. Analysts warn China's exports are likely to struggle in 2023. The West is spending less on, on goods imported from China. When your economy is already very exposed to uh, 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 demand shocks from the world economy, uh, which seems that we're having one this year, uh, the IMF has alerted that the world's going to grow less and there's going to be less demand for exports. Likewise, China's import numbers struggled too, dropping by 7.5 percent in December. The imports slump appears to suggest weak domestic demand and economic health in China, first because of the zero COVID-19 policy and now because of rapid virus spread. People imagined that after opening up, the economy would recover. Now it's been reopened for a while, but the economy has not recovered. 
Xie says years of lockdowns took a brutal toll on China's economy, as well as foreign business there. But McCarthy says the main driver of China's economic slowdown is something else. The big driver is that the Chinese housing market, after a 25-year mega bubble, has burst. Okay, the housing market is in bust. And if they're not going to pump up credit growth and you're not going to get speculation in real estate to reliquify these assets, which are the collateral base for the entire economy. One third of China's domestic economic activity is driven by real estate. Housing investment accounts for 70 percent of most household wealth. McCarthy warns China is on the path toward another recession, similar to Japan's in 1990, when a crisis in real estate destroyed its economy. But with Beijing's virus policy now rebooted, will it bring confidence to global investors? I don't think we're going to go back to a time and, you know, or a moment or an atmosphere where there was, there's going to be uh, uh, an appetite for investment in China. He says that's because of the hawkish approach Beijing takes in its foreign policy and high tensions with the United States. So there's sort of two sides to that. Like, certainly, if you're if you're going to you know, start a new business and, and, and build a supply chain, you're really going to want to try to do it somewhere other than China. Um, but that's marginal. So, I, you know, I, I just don't think these large, really large companies can extricate themselves. There are some optimistic investors, though, betting on hopes that the health crisis and its economic impacts in China will soon peak and start to recede. The question of just when that will happen remains unclear. Coming up, the COVID-19 explosion persists in China and the associated death toll. But how did it get to this point? And what does it mean for Chinese officials? American thought leaders host Yania Kellick sat down with China analyst Gordon Chang for details. His comments after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What does the explosion of the virus in China and its associated death toll mean for Chinese leader Xi Jinping and Chinese officials? And how did the situation reach this point? American thought leaders host Yanya Kellick spoke to China analyst Gordon Chang to discuss the realities the Chinese regime is facing. From what we understood, this, the virus is already starting to really build and start going through the population before the CCP officially offered the lockdowns, uh, lifted the lockdowns, and then also, you know, there were these protests. So there's kind of multiple things going on. Maybe you can shed light on how these things interact. Yeah. From about the last week or so in October, and especially after the November 24 fire in Urumqi, the Chinese people uh, participated in these extraordinary protests. In October, it was in the central part of China, in Zhengzhou, at what is known as iPhone City, um, a factory which builds more than half the world's iPhones. Workers just wouldn't put up with it. So they were scrambling over fences, they were escaping through fields. And what was really important was that the people who were, uh, lived around there helped the workers flee. And by helping the workers flee, they put themselves at great risk. But what was really fascinating was after the November 24 fire, um, it was clear from the videos that fire trucks couldn't get to the scene of the apartment building because of barriers that had been put in the streets because of COVID. And also people couldn't get out of their apartments in the burning building because they had been shut in from the outside for quarantine purposes. And then you had those protests across China, north, south, east, west, 
These were spontaneous. There was no organization, no coordination, no leadership. And really what frightened the Communist Party was people were saying, oh yeah, of course they didn't like the COVID lockdowns, but they were saying down with Xi Jinping, down with the CCP. And that means that the mood was revolutionary. Um, and in the face of that, that was one of um, four reasons that I think that uh, the Chinese leadership on December 7th just abandoned zero COVID, which was the most draconian set of lockdowns in the world. And just all of a sudden, like that, they disappeared. That's because the Chinese people wouldn't put up with it. But there were other reasons. Well, yeah, so a second reason actually is that the virus was already kind of getting out of control despite these lockdowns, as is you know, many epidemi epidemiologists that I've spoken with have said is basically something inevitable, especially with a respiratory virus, a coronavirus. So um, it's almost like they had no choice, but tell me what you think. Yeah, the World Health Organization actually said that um, the virus was surging through China before the um, lockdowns were lifted on December 7th. So that they were saying the lifting of the lockdowns didn't cause the surge because it was already there. Um, and when you start looking at the data, which we're starting to get, we're seeing that they really were um, infections. And, and now it is just completely out of control. You know, I want to catch up a little bit. You mentioned there were four reasons. So we have, of course, you know, the, the lockdown policies themselves um, and the virus basically surging despite that. And you also have these protests. What were the other two? Okay. The other two were that municipalities were responsible, financially responsible for zero COVID, which was extremely expensive to implement because mm. we have these lockdowns. We have the contract. Uh, tracing. We have daily testing, sometimes more than once a day testing for COVID-19. And, and municipality, municipalities had to pay for it. Even Beijing, as rich as it was, was running out of money to implement zero COVID. So they, they just didn't have the cash. Um, but also um, you had the Chinese economy starting to contract or going deeper into contraction. Um, so there you have those two other reasons that it was just not possible anymore for the party. They just didn't have the resources to do it and they could see the country's economy was failing. The Communist Party didn't change its policies on December 7th. It just capitulated to the disease. This is the collapse of Communist Party policy. There's a disproportionate number of high-level cadres which have just simply passed away. And we've been actually covering this because we were very interested in all those people here at Epoch. So, you know, what are you seeing there? Yeah, well, that, it's true. Um, you have a lot of senior officials um, succumbing to COVID, and we don't know. Um, I have heard a lot of rumors. The rumor that makes most sense to me is that uh, senior cadres get preferential access to organ transplants. When you have an organ transplant, you have um, all sorts of drugs to suppress the immune, immune system of the body. So these people are immune compromised. And we know that COVID attacks the immune compromised. Uh, I can't say this, I, you know, but it, it makes sense to me that this is what's going on. But whatever it is, um, it does look disproportionately that senior Chinese leaders are, are dying from the disease. Some of the first reporting I did on the organ industry in China back in 2006 when I realized there was this whole murder for organs reality happening, you know, unfathomable, right? Horrific. But horrific, absolutely horrific. And so I'd interviewed uh, David Kilgore who had been doing research, very, you know, research on this. He had interviewed a Taiwanese national who had gone to China, had a rare antibody condition, and the guy had gone on two trips and had been fitted 
with a total of eight kidneys across something like six months. Um, because of this rare condition, they kept being rejected. So finally, the eighth one held. But you can just imagine the reality there. So th when you were talking about these cadres getting preferential treatment, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. When we first heard about this, um, you know, going back, what, 15 so or so years, people were saying, oh, no, no, it can't be right. Um, but we've got, since that time, more and more evidence that there is the murder, um, that people are being murdered for organs. Um, and China has set up the infrastructure for that with mobile organ units and, and all the rest of it. And, and it's on, in China that you can get an organ on demand where you have to wait years in the United States, for instance, for a kidney to get a match. Um, so. Yes, it's happening, um, and it is one of the crimes against humanity that the Communist Party is committing. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.